Here come the blue shirts. If you weren't awake to play in that kind of game, then you weren't made to play hockey in Madison Square Garden. He's got experience in the streets and in the alleys. <laughs> and in the alleys. He will whoop your ass. <laughs> I'm looking better now than I did before. Ron, She's there, it's names. all your fault. It's over for all of you. Once I'm on the team. Well, you're going to have to let me dress you, though. <laughs> oh, 100%. You can, that, that's going to be Ron Duguay's third act. Molly off the air. Wow. <laughs> Molly off the air. a whole different person. Yeah. Up in the He'll blue be courtside seat. and I'll be up in the blue seat. <laughs> <laughs> kind of realize with five seconds left there's probably not going to be enough time for them to bring it all the way down so, yeah it's just a great win i think you'll find a guy in that room who doesn't smile probably when you bring up his name that's uh, the kind of guy he is the kind of personality he has set up by mika sabanachan rangers win rangers win i think everybody's very excited for him excited for the team but obviously good to see see something like that happen for him Welcome back to Up in the Blue Seats, our New York Rangers podcast from the New York Post. That montage you just heard, courtesy of MSG Network. You heard Sam Rosen, Ryan Lindgren, and Jacob Truba in a victory with under a second to go. Unbelievable. Joining us later in the show, of course, is Larry Brooks of the New York Post. And Potvin does not suck. Dennis Potvin, Islanders legend, four-time Stanley Cup champion, one of the greatest players in the history of the sport, will join us. And he's actually a nice guy, Rangers fans. And uh, now let's welcome in your host of Up in the Blue Seats. That would be the Queen, coming off her first column ever. Let's give her a round of applause for Molly Walker and her co-host, who didn't wear a helmet. And his hair was always flying high and beautifully into the winter nights. That would be Rangers great number 10, Ron Duguay. Well, hi, everyone. And yes, the Rangers are 11, 4, and 3, 25 points at the top of the leaderboard in a tough Eastern Conference Division. And this week, of course, they're playing against a team that's really struggling in the New York Islanders. Play them twice, back-to-back. And because of that, we thought it'd be fun to have a former Islander to discuss these two games and, of course, the Islanders of the past winning and then competing against me. And that's my good friend, Denny Potvin. Yes, it is Denny Potvin. Many still dislike him because of what happened in 1979 with him taking out Alf Nielsen, us going to the finals against Montreal. We don't have Alf. We don't win the Stanley Cup. And they're still holding it against him. So we're going to discuss all that. But more than anything else, it's this week. It's Thanksgiving week. We're going to talk about what we have planned ourselves. And then what's coming up is really what happened last game. And I'm still thinking about it, how the Rangers found a way to win. And that's the thing that they keep talking about. Coach Gallant talks about they're finding a way to win. And they were behind against Buffalo or Buffalo caught up to them. It was an off game for Georgiev, which we're going to discuss but they found a way to score in the last four seconds. And a lot of that, the one player that 
to me stood out in that play was Fox. How Fox came in, read the play, picked up the puck, made a pass, Zabinajad to Lindgren into the net. And that's what's on my mind right now. But it says a lot about this team moving forward. So let's get into it right now with Molly. Molly, you're still thinking about that game, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, it was it was definitely an interesting one. It was a little messy at times, a little exciting at times. But like you said, Ron, they found a way to uh, win it at the end. But I think the biggest storyline to emerge out of that game was the lack of confidence that the Rangers probably have in their backup netminder Alex Georgiev. Just a rough night all around for him and it's unfortunately not something fans and the team is not accustomed to. Dating back to last season I would say. It's been tough to watch unfold especially considering how well he played when he was Lundqvist's backup uh, when he made the team at a training camp for the first time. I believe it was 2018-19 and And it's just been a bit of a fall from grace for him. At this point, we're going to talk to Larry about it later in the show. But the Rangers probably have some decisions to make when it comes when it comes to Georgiev, whether they want to try to shop him or if they're going to dip into the minor leagues, bring up a guy like Kincaid or Huska. But at this point, I I think Georgiev has has lost a little bit of uh, the trust of the team. Well, I I saw it last year and I was surprised they brought him back this year because he went through a whole season of what appeared to me uh, struggles and he could get himself out of it. And then that that little tussle that he had kind of showed me that there might have been some mental weakness in this game. My evaluation of him not being a goaltender, not having played goaltender, I kind of saw some uh, weaknesses in his game technique-wise and just not being mentally strong enough. And sure enough, they start him this year, game one, he doesn't play well. But when you look at the goaltending, Ranger goaltender, it's kind of good news, bad news, right? Shesterkin has taken this game where he's probably the best goaltender in the National Hockey League. So you have that going for yourself. But now you have a situation where they feel like they have to rest him. And that's the question that I may have for you, Molly, because you're a little more on the inside, Shesterkin. Why do they feel like 60, 65 games versus maybe a little bit more? Are they concerned with his health, potentially? Because I know he had issues with his groin. And I don't think they would disclose this. But from what I'm believing, because he's only 24 years old, I'm believing they might be resting him or being careful not to play too much so he doesn't get hurt. I think that's more the idea. It's not that he can't play more games. It's that they're careful of him getting hurt. Well, you're 100% right. I think that... Like you mentioned, Shesterkin has had, I think it's three or four now, separate run-ins with a groin injury or just a lower body injury in general. So he's shown that he is a bit prone to injury. And the last thing that the Rangers would want to do is lose their number one for an extended period of time, especially now with the way that Georgiev has consistently played in the last two seasons or so. So I think that if you also look at the way Gerard Gallant has deployed his goaltenders in the past, he is definitely more prone to trying to split up the starts between his goaltenders, even if he does have a clear number one. But Gallant has always said that he completely defers to the Rangers director of goaltending, Benoit Lair. He makes all of the decisions, um, although Gallant did say it was his decision to swap Shesterkin and Georgiev heading into the third period against the Sabres. So that he took responsibility for and said it was a coach's decision. He wanted to get his number one netminder in there and it ended up working out in the Rangers' favor. It's a bit of a tough situation and I think it depends because Georgiev is, I think he has over a $2 million cap hit and that's pretty expensive for, for a backup. So it'll be tough to shop him. It's 
it's just not a contract that I can see other other teams picking up, especially going off of how he's played so far. Yeah, and I'm watching the game, and uh, there's certain players that stand out more than others. And Fox, I got to tell you, he keeps standing out to me the way he plays, he the way he moves moves the puck around, how he sees the ice, and again, he's part of that play with four seconds left to go. He kind of moves in, he's back on defense, he's looking up at the clock, he's seeing there's not much time left. He figures I'm just going to go in. And what's impressive, what I like about his play is how Lindgren kind of is playing off of him. They're always playing off each other. Sure enough, Lindgren is in front of the net, right? Anticipating that he's going to get a pass. And sure enough, it happened. So when you look at that pairing, that pairing, you got to think of those two guys as one of the top pairings in the National Hockey League. Absolutely. No, I'm happy that you mentioned Lindgren because I actually wrote about this for Tuesday's paper. I think Lindgren makes, I mean, it was a heads up play from both of them for that game winning goal, but Lindgren was able to recognize that he could abandon his his post at the top of the zone because it was less than a second on the clock and there was no way the Sabres could get back down to the other end. So you might as well cheat as much as you possibly can. And he got all the way up to the doorstep uh, of the Sabres net and was able to just tap it right in from close range, you know, no doubt about it, beat the buzzer. Um, but Lindgren makes those heads up plays all the time. I, it, earlier in the game, th- there was a play, uh, it was a Sabres partial breakaway on an errant pass from Panarin. And the way that Fox and Lindgren converged in and Lindgren laid on a hit to knock the player out of the play. And then Fox was able to touch up on the puck and send the play the other way. And Kako buried, I think it was the three to two score on the other end. And it's just, it's a work of art, honestly, sometimes to see the types of plays that those two can generate. And like you said, Ron, absolutely one of the top defensive pairs in the league right now. Thinking about this week in the Islanders, we're going to have Danny Potvin on. When you think Danny Potvin, you don't just think, well, four Stanley Cups, Norris Trophy winner, three times, uh, a nice career on the island, but a lot of fans dislike him. I can't wait to hear your response because in in your household, there's a big hockey fan who oh, watched those series, <laughs> meaning your mom. Was there any response? What's the feedback from your mom thinking that Denny Potbang is going to be on our show today? Well, first of all, I didn't even mention it to her because I didn't even want to bring it up to see what she would have to say she found out from your guys's post jake and you both posted about it and she pokes her head into my room and she goes you're having dennis potvan on your podcast and i was like oh yeah like yeah we are and she was just kind of like why why in the world would you have him on your podcast and i was like mom like not now like i'm not i'm not i'm not getting into this with you right now but she was genuinely offended and was like why are you doing this and i I'll, I tell Dennis later in the show that he said that some of the Ranger fans have, have been pretty nice to him uh, over the years. And I said, well, my mother, if you ever saw her, she would not be one of them. I would be scared to hear what not my mom a, would have to say. Not from a distance or behind a keyboard. I mean, Ron said, anyone have questions? And everyone said, why does he still suck? So that was like 20 of the questions were that. Yeah. Well, I, I want to pick his hockey brain because him being a captain and we keep talking Captain C for the New York Rangers. Uh, we're talking coaching because we've had a coaching change in New York. So I want to hear what his relationship was like with Al Arbor and what kind of coach Al Arbor was. Yeah, but we also asked him about the new UBS Arena. So I hope there are some Ranger fans who are listening that were able to get some tickets to that on Wednesday night because it is going to be a great experience. Uh, I was there at the grand opening against the Flames the other night. And uh, I can tell you that the arena is absolutely worth 
worth making the trek out to Long Island to see. It is a state-of-the-art building. They cut no corners. They spent an absurd amount of money. I think it came out to around $1.1 billion. And and it's just in a beautiful area right on Belmont Park. They uh, made sure they have, I think, 68 bathrooms or something. There will be not a single line for the restroom in sight like at the old Coliseum. And no more leaky roofs, no more uh, danger asbestosly, uh, you know, for the cancer stuff. So none of that anymore. And the Islanders finally have an arena that they can be proud of. So I'm curious to hear if any of you Ranger fans make the trek out to Long Island for the game and hope you guys uh, make your presence felt because I'm sure the Rangers will will need it. It didn't take a lot to, you know, be much better than the old barn. You could have had an actual <laughs> barn and that would have been better than the yeah, old barn. Yeah, it was so. a very, <laughs> very low bar to clear. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, they had upgrades, but it, they packed in like sardines in the concourse there. So I'm, oh I'm excited to make my way out there at some point. And what are you guys doing for Thanksgiving? Ron hasn't told us, which means he has like a mysterious Thanksgiving <laughs> plan. So let's start with you, Ron, because we want to know what you're doing Thanksgiving. Well, it's not mysterious. Uh, like a lot of my old teammates, I get along really well with them as I do with my ex-wives. So my ex-wife, Kim, has invited me to her house in Scottsdale, Arizona, where my son is going to be. And my daughter happens to be in Scottsdale. So I'm going to spend and actually staying at her house. You can imagine this that. This is so- a reality show waiting <laughs> to happen. My goodness. Yeah. <laughs> uh, separate bedrooms, of course. But that's what I'm doing. And from there, I'm going to go to New Beach, California, where I have a daughter and grandkids there. And my daughter, my youngest daughter is going to make an announcement, which she has just said that she's expecting another child. And uh, we're going to know well, the gender. announcement now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so Open we're going to... Open the Blue exclusive announcement. <laughs> Ron's daughter is having another baby. Woo! Yes. <laughs> so that's five for me as far as grandchildren. But we're going to know the the um, gender on uh, this Saturday coming. So I'm looking forward to that. Is she having a big gender gender reveal party kind of thing? She is, and I'll be revealing it. Oh yeah, what what are, are you are you like? Is it a hockey puck that's going to explode? Like, is it you know a balloon? Well, what what is she doing? We're not sure yet, but it's either it's something pink and something blue. No, oh, well, obviously, yeah. big and true. News: Water is wet. Amazing, but true. Yeah. Mo- Molly, will, will you be? Uh... Is your man's coming home to the family? <laughs> well, how was yours Thanksgiving? Yeah, definitely. I'm going to go spend dessert at, at uh, his house with his family. And But it, during the day, I will be at the Rangers practice. They always practice on Thanksgiving. So I think this will be my second or third year in a row covering Rangers practice on Thanksgiving. And it's always so much fun. You could barely call it a practice. They throw the football around on the ice. I remember last year watching Mika Zabinajad absolutely launch the football across the entire ice to like Brendan Smith or somebody. So they always have a great time. It's always a pretty relaxed practice just to get on the ice and get the blood flowing and stuff. So it should be a relatively easy practice to cover, but it's always fun to spend some time and, and watch the players uh, be a little bit more loose and, and uh, excited for their Thanksgiving plans after the fact. And it's always a pretty early practice too. So we get out of there with, with enough time to get back to our own families. Have you and the mans met each other's family? Is this the first yeah. time? <laughs> no, we have we have so okay. not not a big deal <laughs> i was like don't get into my personal life i'm actually please. like shh, please a- any other topic of conversation can you please stop <laughs> well, well listen molly come on so your mom your mom is uh, outspoken 
How how does he describe your guy? Is he okay with him? <laughs> we are we are we are moving on. <laughs> we are moving on. Thank you. Okay, we're moving on. <laughs> All right, let's talk. Let's talk to Larry Brooks next. Joining us next on Up in the Blue Seats is our Hockey Hall of Fame Rangers beat writer at the Post, Larry Brooks. Follow Larry on Twitter at NYP underscore Brooksy. Larry, Alex Georgiev gets pulled Sunday night after allowing four goals on 18 shots through two periods. Just where do the Rangers go from here now having such little confidence in their backup netminder? Well, I think uh, both the Rangers and Alex need for him to move on. I think the Rangers need a, a, a second goaltender who they have a little more confidence in at this point, who's a little more reliable at this point than Alex has been for the last really two years. And I think Alex needs a fresh start. You know, I, I think he's been disappointed by his trajectory in New York. I, I think he thought that he should have gotten a fair shot at the number one when Shesterkin came over and when... Um, Lundquist, when, when Henrik was being phased out, I, I, I think there's, you know, the dynamic has, has shifted. He's the clear backup here. I'm not sure that he sees himself in, in that role. I think he wants to be able to go somewhere where he can compete for the number one job. I think it'd be beneficial for both parties to move on. Um, the Rangers, though, do need a replacement. So I know you wrote about this for Post Sports Plus members. So if you are one, look out for this article. But the way the Rangers have handled their third defensive pairing option Options, Lundquist, Hayek, Nemeth, Tenorti, and Jones. Just what are your thoughts on how they're using these players and if there's anything you think should change? I don't quite understand it. Nils Lundquist is going to be a pretty good player. You can see qualities in him. He's smart, reads the play, but it's a major adjustment for him. He is a very small player. It is a major adjustment for him to come from the big ice in Sweden to play here where everything is faster. The play is always in his face. In Sweden, it was almost never in his face. The Rangers and have taken to sitting him essentially the last 10, 12 minutes of games when they're in doubt. You know, when they were up by a goal in, in four straight games or, or protecting a lead in the third period, four straight games, I kind of got them sitting him for the last 10, 12. He gets about two, he gets two shifts the last 11, 12 minutes of a game. And I got that. Defending is not his forte at this point. Gallant likes to put, or, or the coaching staff likes to construct a second pair of Truba and Nemeth, bigger physical guys down the stretch. So Lundquist sits in those situations. And I understood that. I get that. But when they were down by a goal in Toronto last week, he still sat. And so if you don't think he's an asset when you're up by a goal, if you don't think he's an asset when you're down by a goal, then I'm, I'm not exactly sure why he's here. Now, maybe they think his development is better served by being on the Rangers, by practicing with NHL players all the time, rather than playing 22, 24 minutes in Hartford, running the power play and doing all the things that elite players do in in the American League. Maybe that's their thought. Maybe they're right about that. But I'm not sure why he's in the lineup basically every night. I certainly don't understand why Libor Hayek doesn't get a game. I mean, Patrick Nemeth has not played that well. For him to be a staple, an automatic go-to guy on the third pair, I don't quite get at this point. I think Hayek, you know, they need Hayek to play. Hayek makes a good first pass. He skates well. There, there's nothing flashy about him, but he's a competent player. And if we're talking about establishing a value for him, or, or just finding out about him. He needs to play. So I'm not sure why Hayek doesn't play. I'm not sure how they're handling Lundquist. I keep hearing how well Zach Jones is playing down in Hartford. Isn't there a case to be made for the Rangers to give him a shot? 
to find out what they have in him. Because we know, hanging over this, we know that at some point the Rangers are going to need to dip into their stable of young defensemen in order to address holes up front. You know, they're, I mean, they're really thin up front. They're thin up front in New York. They're, they're thin up front throughout the organization. They will not trade Braden Schneider. He, he is about an untouchable. So he's not a guy I'm talking about. But Zach Jones, maybe Zach Jones is going to be a better NHL player than Nils Lundqvist. I would like to see Zach Jones get a run of games so that they know exactly what they have in Jones, in Lundqvist. I mean, Matt Robertson probably won't come up, but you know, it would, be, it would be nice to know a little bit more about him, but it certainly would be nice to know about Hayek. They have a lot of, a lot of balls to juggle here, and I, and I get that. It's not an easy thing to do. Um, you're trying to win, you're trying to develop players, but they're trying to win. So I get it. It, it. It's not the easiest thing in the world to do, but I would like to see them address this a little bit differently. Larry, I'd like to go back to the goaltending. Uh, I'm in agreement with you that uh, Georgiev probably needs another place to go play just to regroup. Having said that, there's a lot of hockey to be played, a lot of games to be played. The Rangers are going to scratch the claw to make the playoffs. And apparently they really do want to give Shesterkin games off. So how do you address the goaltending situation? And do you go with what you have in the minors or do you go out and try to trade for a goaltender? What do you think would be the best scenario for the Rangers to fix that hole? I'm not privy to their evaluation of Adam Huska at this point, whether they think he would be able to handle the 18 to 20 start probably that they uh, they ideally would like to give to their backup. I'd be surprised if they think that Keith Kincaid is the answer, although he could be a stopgap. Cam Talbot had essentially had no experience when he replaced Marty Biron as their backup early in the 13-14 season, but he had the obvious endorsement of the staff and of Benoit Allaire. They thought he was ready. Now, do they think Huska's ready? You know, maybe not. He, you know, he's not as experienced as Talbot was at that point. That leaves the alternative of finding a veteran goaltender on the market. And I was actually, and again, I, I, I do write this in uh, Post Plus, I would look at Yara Halak out in Vancouver, and I would look at Braden Holtby in Dallas. Now, Dallas may, may have no interest in moving Holtby at all, and Holtby might not have any interest in coming to be a backup goaltender. But I would think Halak in Vancouver is a pretty interesting option for the Rangers to take a look at. So this coming week, uh, the Rangers are going against the Islanders, and surprisingly, the Rangers is really the hot team with the Islanders going through their struggles. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. So, But having said that, we thought it'd be fun to have a four former Islander on the show. We're going to have Denny Potbank. Denny and I know each other, not only on the ice, but we've gotten to know each other off the ice. And if you mention that name to a Ranger fan, there's still a strong dislike with Potbank sucks. Because you've been around him for so many years, how would you best describe him to the audience, to the Ranger fans, as a man, as a person, and of course, as a player? He's an irascible proud individual. Um, he knows who he is. He knows what he's done. Um, he knows where he stands in, in NHL history, which is <laughs> about at the top, actually. He's very intelligent, well-spoken, never shies away from giving his opinion. You know, he, he's a guy who, uh, who I've known since 1976. We've had, 
We've had our ups and downs, but I have a tremendous amount of respect for him as an individual and as a hockey player. And, and you know, I think back to those early years of my career and, and, and the Islanders and to break into this business by covering what became, I think, the greatest team of all time was, is, you know, which just set a remarkable foundation for me. And I, and I think back and, and Denny and I had our issues back then. Um, if you tell me that I didn't give him enough credit back then, I would probably agree with you. I mean, you know, there was, there was such greatness around the team. He was a little bit different of a personality on that team and, and among players. Um, and he and I had battled a bit. Maybe I saved my grander words for Mike Bossy or, or Brian Trache, but Denny Potvin was a great, great player who I probably didn't give enough credit to when I was covering the team. You know, and he and I have had a, a long running relationship that's had its high moments and, and had had its less than high moments. <laughs> well, so I'm sure he'll be honored to hear now. that. <laughs> yeah, we're good now. That's that's some high praise from Larry Brooks also admitting that (laughs) admitting where he was wrong, I guess you could say. But uh, thanks again for the time, Larry. And we'll talk again next week. Yeah, sure thing. Enjoy your holiday. you heard Jiggs McDonald from Sports Channel New York. Now, let's welcome in our special guest. Our special guest this week may be in unfamiliar territory coming onto a Rangers podcast, but all those listening surely know him all too well. He's the Islander whose name is still mocked at Madison Square Garden to this day, despite his retirement from the NHL in 1988. Please, Rangers fans, try to give Dennis Potvin the warmest welcome that you're able to. Dennis, welcome to Up in the Blue Seats. How are you? Oh, my God, the Blue Seats. I love everybody <laughs> in the Blue Seats. All your biggest fans, I'm I'm sure. <laughs> Dennis, I'm curious because I heard the chant, you know, for the first time, really. I don't go to many Ranger games, and I heard it uh, a couple weeks ago. One, are you bothered by it? Two, are you on board for Subban Sucks replacing Potvin Sucks? Uh, you know, no one has done it yet. I don't think Subban's going to do it either. I think that nothing will replace, what is it now, almost 35, 36 years, you know, after uh, 79. And uh, I just don't think it's going to be replaced. There was a friend of mine who went to a game and saw a young man screaming, Potvin sucks. And my friend asked him, he said, who is this guy, Potvin? And the young guy, I don't know. I think he's dead now. <laughs> <laughs> but like I guess do you take it as a compliment that all these years later nobody has forgotten you and they make sure that the entire Madison Square Garden atmosphere doesn't forget either <laughs> Molly there's only one thing that kind of soothes it I mean if you know it's gone through its stages I mean it was a lot meaner you know in the in the 80s you know I had a nine volt battery thrown at me one time at Madison Square Garden so <clears throat> those days have passed but I must say whenever I meet a Ranger fan they are so courteous respectful and every one of them say I don't chant <laughs> so I, I think it's partly true and partly a lie but in any of that the thing is that the uh, Ranger fans you know, the past several decades have been nothing more than respectful, so that's good. Well, honestly, Rangers fans listening, I'm so proud of you to hear that sort of report from Dennis Poppin, because I can say with confidence that if my mother 
ever ran into you on the streets, she would not be as kind as some of these rangers. I think fans. people act different. Their pot vans <laughs> sucks when they're far away, but they go up to your face and they're going to be like, oh, you're the nicest guy. I love you so much. So I think some of those people are lying. I'm not going to hit anybody anymore, but uh, bottom line is that it, it's something you grow into. I mean, listen, any, the real fact about it, it wasn't fun for my kids, you know, for a long time. But, you know, we grew out of that. And the nice thing about it for us, and it's not a, it's not a shot here I'm giving out to the Rangers, but the success we had throughout the 80s certainly helped, you know, make that not feel so bad. And uh, then again, we're talking decades ago. So, I, you know, I take it, you know, more as a badge of honor right now. I don't know of any athlete in the world that has been uh, remembered at Madison Square Garden as much as I have. So I guess I've got to but I take that as a compliment. Ron just told me he heard it at a Yankee game. So you're all over New York, and they're keeping you relevant, and they can now get you on Cameo 35 years later. So people hear your name, they look you up, and then they find you and Ron Duguay on Cameo. So I think it all works out well in the end. Hey, Duguay, last night I'm in the booth with Bob Nystrom, and there's a couple of people there, you know, some sponsors, you know what we do sometimes during the game. And I'm standing there, and Bobby says, about the Pot Band Sox chant, he says, you know, guys, I was at Wimbledon. Several years ago, and as the the players were changing sides, you know, during their intermission, the whistle started, and there was a big chant, "Pot and Sucks at Wimbledon." <laughs> That's unbelievable, Denny. Denny, we're not gonna we're not gonna just leave it there. It was at a Giants game, also. All right. <laughs> no, really, I had friends that went there, and they said, "What's this pot thing sucks thing?" So I had to kind of tell them the story. And by the way, I was part of that. I was I wasn't on the ice, but I was on the bench. I witnessed the hit on Off Nielsen. If you go back and look at the video, it wasn't even that bad. It's just that you hit him like you would normally hit someone. It's just that I think he caught a rut in the ice and he twisted his ankle so as players as rangers we didn't see it as a dirty hit although we knew that you're capable of doing it as i witness uh for uh, yeah, for hockey fans ranger fans i've only had plastic surgery once and it was thanks to denny <laughs> the thing with dennis if you hit him once he's looking for you as you come back and sure enough i was instructed to kind of get in his face a little bit him and billy smith Thanks a lot for that, right? But anyways, I, I can remember hitting Denny once, and I hit him hard. We both went down. And sure enough, the next time I went after him, and I can remember this, it was kind of in the neutral zone. Sure enough, Denny's stick was up and ready, waiting for me, and he clipped me on the nose. And at the end of the season, I needed surgery because it looked pretty bad. And, of course, I was still being Ron Duguay, the model. Anyways, Denny, I, I just wanted to say or kind of chat about because you've experienced, and I want to get into today, we're talking Rangers and, and the organization. They made a coaching change, and they're still trying to figure out who would be a good captain. So my question to you, because you had the great Al Arbor, and you were captain. What was your relationship like as a captain with Coach Al Arbor? Al Arbor was a tough cookie. I mean, uh, you know, if we lost two games in a row during the 80s in October, you know, the we probably wouldn't see a puck the next day at practice. And he was tough in that way, but it was very loving. I, I will always remember when, you know, that I was first, you know, asked by management Bill Torrey and Al if I would take on the captaincy, and I said, it's going to be a great honor. Al just kept reminding me, you don't have to be rah-rah, you don't have to say things, but 
Remember, your first few shifts on the ice every game, that's where you're going to show leadership. And I really learned from that. So if I talk about leadership to people now, everybody's going to handle it differently. But the way I did was I tried to be prepared for every game and particularly those first few shifts in the game. And that's the way you lead. And I think Al Arbor was very good like that in terms of reminding me. So, you know, we didn't have those big meetings about other players. I mean, we had, you know, Ron, I mean, we had about seven or eight great leaders. So it wasn't a team that needed to be dragged along. Everybody knew what they had to do. And in those days, you know, we didn't have a lot of changes. I mean, from year to year, you know, we had the same 15, 16 guys on the team. So it was a great era, I think, in hockey. And particularly for me, a great time to be captain. We had a lot of leaders on that team. Coming back to current times a bit, with the Rangers set to play their first ever game at UBS Arena Wednesday night, what, I know you were there for the grand opening and as was I, and uh, we talked about it a little bit earlier in the show, but what should Rangers fans who are going to be in attendance expect from the brand new $1.1 billion state-of-the-art arena. You know what, Molly? I met a lot of Rangers at the games over the weekend, and each one of them said to Dennis, I don't chant. It was nice to see, again, it goes back to what I was saying earlier, the respect they show because I think first they're hockey fans, you know, and and we are all hockey fans. Right now, the way the Rangers are playing, all they got to do, well, I shouldn't say all they got to do, but they step on the ice and they've got to make it their game earlier because obviously there's going to be a crowd cheering for the Islanders who are struggling right now, struggling in a lot of departments, whether it be the power play, five on five, injuries, COVID. There's a lot of things they're not doing very well and it's not going well for them. But, you know, the Rangers, you know, I was kind of looking today and well, what is it, they they kind of shot up in the standing, you know, with what, uh, six or seven of the wins on the last 10 games. So all you got to do is what you do best. And they can't forget that going into a, a building that's going to be a foreign building and they, not one that they know. But I think they'll be very impressed by uh, sort of the boardroom look of the building. A lot of antiques, a lot of teak, a lot of beautiful uh, finishes all around the building. Truly an amazing building. The best one I've ever seen. But then again, it is the newest. So I think it will be fun for players to get into an atmosphere because they've kept a lot of what we had at the Coliseum. You'll see that the second balcony is over the ice, you know, like the, a lot of the older buildings that we played in. So the atmosphere is that the people are close. And then the, they talk about the ceiling being 93 feet high from ice level. That is only one or two feet short of what it was at the Coliseum. So they're trying to keep, you know, the the sound and the atmosphere very much like it was in the old barn. Before we have a guest on, we'll make an announcement on Twitter, and we did yesterday, and a lot of response, uh, good and bad, of course, as you might expect, but they do really respect you, and they want to hear from you, and we have a couple of questions. One of them being, having played against the Rangers during your career, is there one guy that you felt like he was probably the hardest guy to have to play against? <laughs> Nick Patillo was wasn't a lot of fun to play against, I can tell you that. It comes down to respect. I think if you don't respect your opponent, I think that that's where you're going to get burned. Now, I could tell you about trying to play one-on-one against Gilbert Perot or Guy Lafleur or Ron Gouguet. You know, Ron was a big guy at, uh, at that time, you know, with a lot of strength. I never felt that I had to be extra careful against one guy more than another because in the game we played the Rangers 10 11 times a year it wasn't like they didn't know what I did and they you know it wasn't like I didn't know what to expect from Olfie or Anders or you know or Ron or Phil or any of those guys I go all the way back to you know playing against Rod Joe Bear in the early days and Vic Hatfield so I, I think the preparation 
doesn't allow, well, in my view, a professional athlete to idolize the opponent, meaning Gretzky, Mario, whoever they were. To me, they were a jersey I had to stop. Well, I have to ask you another question that's from another fan. It's about your wrist shot. Because you really, I mean, you when you look at the amount of goals you scored, there are times you score 30 goals a year. But a lot of it, and I can remember, I can just still remember watching you, that that wrist shot of yours. Why is it that you decided you wanted to do more the wrist shot versus the slap shot that you're seeing nowadays? You know, I, I was very fortunate because when I was 12 years old, we had very good coaching in Ottawa, Canada, my hometown. We had a couple of men that didn't get paid, but they spent a lot of time with us. And I remember with my coach, uh, and I was 12 or 13 years old, you know, kind of playing a lot of tournaments, you know, in around Quebec and, you know, in Ontario. He'd put a puck down right at one of the face-off circles, and he'd say, just shoot the puck and try and hit the net. Not the top corner, not low corner, just try and hit the net. And then my dad had a good friend of him, his, who was a, a welder. So he took a regular-sized puck, and he cut the middle out of it and filled it with metal or steel. So when the puck weighs three ounces, this might have weighed 10 ounces. Even in the summertime, I would just wrist shot that puck. Just shoot, shoot, shoot. You know, even as a pro, there was no secret that a guy like Mike Bossy probably shot two, 300 bucks every practice. So all he had to do was follow what he was doing. And all it did, to me anyway, it came so much more naturally because my first thought had to be move the puck. And once I got into the offensive zone, I could be a little more selfish with it and shoot. But everything had to be done quickly. So I, I worked at that a long time. And I think that's why I was able to develop a good wrist shot that accounted for a lot of the goals I scored. So as Ron asks you to analyze your game, I want to ask you, what do you remember about playing against Ron? I guess every one of us would tell you about the hair. Now, I don't think Ron ever wore a helmet. Did you, Ron? I did not, no. You know, Ron and I got to meet a couple of times off the ice and He's as good a guy as his teammates knew. I, I got to meet him, but the impressive thing was the hair. But listen, the size I remember that Ron had, the skating ability, in 1979, if I remember correctly, Ray Shiro uh, was coaching you guys. And I think that it was probably the series where I was most exhausted because it seemed, and I think it was confirmed later, the puck was always dumped into my corner. And Ron Duguay was one of the first guys on top of me, forcing me to make a play. And, it, you know, that's what it took a lot out of me. And that game plan ended up helping them. You know, amongst others, saying, you know, J.D. played great, but the Rangers had a good series. And we ended up losing in 79. Ron was in my face a lot, believe me. Well, Dennis, thanks so much for your time. If you want a special cameo from Dennis Potvin to prank your fellow Rangers fans, you can find him there. And Ron is on there, too. But uh, thanks again, Dennis. I can't wait to tell my mom how nice of a guy you are. Uh, she's not really going to be happy. <laughs> we're old hockey players. We're a lot nicer than we were back then. Anyway, <laughs> God bless everybody. Good talking with you guys. All righty then, that wraps up episode 65, the Danny O'Regan edition of Up in the Blue Seats, our Rangers podcast from the New York Post, just in time for Thanksgiving. Thanks to Jake Brown and Andrew Hartz and intern Cameron Ezer for producing the show. Molly, what are you thankful for this year? You know, it's been a great year. You got a you got a handsome boyfriend. You're you're hosting Up in the Blue Seats with Ron Duguay and the Podfather. You got your first column out. I think you got a lot to be thankful for this. 
this. this I am so thankful, Jake. I'm so thankful for everything that I've been able to achieve in my career this year. But yes, honestly, working with the Podfather is probably my greatest gift of this year. (laughs) Thank you very much. I'll Venmo you later. Um, (laughs) You got to make sure to follow Molly. Two E's, two R's, Molly Walker. Of course, follow Ron Duguay at Ron Duguay 10. Go in there, give us a five-star rating, write in a positive review on Apple Podcasts. But, yeah, the Rangers are hot right now. I'm into this. I'm not a big hockey guy, Molly, but this team is sizzling hot. You win a game with 44 seconds left. I know you're a reporter, but you are an ex-Rangers fan. So to cover this team and to be a former fan slash, I think you still kind of root for them, but you're professional. I don't uh, know what you're team. talking about. Where are you it's, getting all this that I'm a former fan? It's exciting times, Molly. No. It's exciting times. I came out the womb an unbiased journalist. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> came out the womb with a notepad and a pencil. Like, although you're so young, you had like an iPad when you came out of the womb. You were, you're a new newbie. But Molly, you do a great job. I'm thankful to work with you, Molly Walker, the queen of the post. It's been a fun show, and the Rangers are fun. So thanks to you. Thanks to Ron. And everyone, enjoy your Thanksgiving. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Uh, come back fatter. It's fine. You'll work it off. You'll you'll hit the gym next week. And enjoy the next week of Rangers games. Enjoy the New York Rangers versus the New York Islanders at the brand-new UBS Arena. And we'll talk to you guys next Thursday.